listening to Make It, a podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps aspiring professionals in film get where they're going faster by dissecting the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives in the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley. Hey guys, it's Chris de Blasio. I'm an executive producer. I'm also the CEO of Agency 850, an entertainment marketing company. You guys might have seen me uh, in a couple of movies and TV shows in the past. I've worked on both in the front front side of the camera and the back side. And today we're going to be talking about some of the projects I'm working on. Wonderful. Chris de Blasio, welcome to the Make It Podcast. Chris, I am excited to be here, man. I'm excited to have you here, and I'll start by giving a little bit of background, a little bit of additional color to to you. I'm going to just read from your bio. Of course, this is the internet, so it could be wrong. So, so <laughs> feel free to correct me if if any if this is is off. But uh, I'll just read from it here. Chris De Blasio, the CEO of Agency 850 and 850 Entertainment, is a television and film executive producer and public speaker. He has 16 plus years in the entertainment business as both an actor and producer. De Blasio got his start at the School of Film in Manhattan in New York with teachers who instructed the likes of Edward Norton, Sarah Michelle Gellar, Peter Sarsgaard, and others. After receiving training, he landed roles on the nationally broadcasted One Life to Live, CSI New York, and other daytime television. Uh, I want to start with the quote that you have that jumped out to me and you say, um, you've once said, I should say, uh, you have to smile knowing that you have the whole week ahead to make a difference. I like that quote because there's a little bit, there's an underlying um, bit of sadness in it and hope and optimism at the end. What does that quote mean to you? You know, I, I just always it's always about your outlook on things, right? I mean, you you can't control certain situations, right? And so during the time of this recording, obviously we're going through, you know, the pandemic and the current, you know, coronavirus and, and there's a lot of people that are hurting out there. And and these types of situations, you got to remember, it's not it's not in your control. And so if you can do your best to stay positive and, and surround yourself with positive people and, and, and try to put a smile on your face and, and keep looking forward that things are going to get better. You're going to get through it. It's going to help in difficult situations like what we're facing right now. Yeah, I love that. And one thing that happened as you sort of got these um, roles early in your career uh, after film school, you moved out to L.A., and uh, you were working, but you, you ended up leaving Los Angeles in 2013. Uh, you've mentioned that when you left L.A. in 2013, you thought your career was over. Mm -hmm. why, why is that? Well, you know, I, I moved back uh, to be closer to family, to my dad. You know, he, he wasn't he wasn't in the best of health. And so I made the decision to move back for family, um, which I will add was the best decision I ever made in my life. Um, because you know, I got a, I got a exactly one year before my dad passed. And, and, um, so I made that decision, but after I, I moved, cause I moved to Northwest Florida, you know, <laughs> Hollywood is in Hollywood, right. It's in, out in LA and, and, and like, 
there's really not too many movies and TV shows being shot in, uh, in Northwest Florida. And so I, I kind of figured, you know, that was done, you know, it was over, but you, you know how it is. I mean, you know, your, your, your passion, you know, if you're dedicated and, and you, it just, it always seems to find you right. No matter where you're at. And, and so, um, even though I made that move, things started happening in Northwest Florida that put me back into, uh, into the entertainment business. And I started producing reality shows actually, uh, in, in Northwest Florida for, for a couple of clients. And, um, and yeah, and then I eventually, you know, put me back in the industry. And then, uh, from Florida, we moved to Atlanta, Georgia, which is obviously we know one of the film and TV capital capitals of the, of, of the world, right. More stuff is being shot here. And so that journey, you know, getting pulled out of LA cause you know, of, of situations that were not in my control and staying focused and staying positive got me to Atlanta where now I'm heavily entrenched back in the business. And, uh, and I didn't have to be in LA was the a couple of things there on Florida. There is a Hollywood, Florida, and we have a couple of filmmakers uh, named the, uh, um, the Jalbert brothers <laughs> that, that are down in Hollywood, Florida, and they keep trying to turn Hollywood, Florida into Hollywood, California, and they, they call it uh, Jollywood. Just <laughs> <laughs> funny, but uh, we'll see if they succeed. But um, what was one of the shows you shot in Florida, The Insurance Wars? Yeah, I did. Actually, that was that was the reality show that that kind of got everything started and got me back into into the business. Um, basically, the way that that happened was um, so when I left when I left LA, I had an entertainment marketing company. I was doing some marketing for people out in LA and 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 a lot of actors and filmmakers. And when I moved to Florida we kind of continued on as a digital agency. So I had a lot of different clients and, and we were you know doing everything from like shooting commercials and stuff like that. And one of my clients came to me, uh, to do, uh, to do a commercial and he's a public adjuster. And, and most people don't know what a public adjuster is. And you know, I told him, I was like, listen, man, I was like, I could shoot a commercial for you, but nobody knows what you do. Mm-hmm. And so jokingly, I said, let's just do a reality show. And so, so basically what a public adjuster does is they stand up for a homeowner in insurance claims, right? And so there are some insurance companies that do some pretty shady things, right? And, mm-hmm. and they underpay or outright deny an insurance, you know, a homeowner insurance money for no reason at all. And, and a lot of these homeowners, they, they just accept whatever the insurance company says, Right because they don't know where to turn. And a lot of these people can't afford an attorney. So what a public adjuster does is they stand up for the homeowner. And so they're the advocate for the insured. And so, um, I interviewed him and his team. I got the backstory and young guys, you know, a lot of them former military, you know, and, and, uh, and so I was like, you know what, let's just do it. So I followed him out to a job and we knew that this, this, uh, this company that, that, uh, this insurance agency was kind of pulling one over on, on the, on the client, on the homeowner. Mm. And so he comes out, the insurance company guy comes out and the battle that goes back and forth was <laughs> mind blowing. Like, like he's pointing out statutes that this company doesn't even like know about. He's pointing out like loopholes in, in, in their, you know, their policy and all this other stuff. And I was like, this is great. Not only is it entertaining, right? It's educational, but it's advertising for his business. 
And so basically what I uncovered was, was, was what is called branded entertainment, where a client, instead of getting a commercial, we just write a narrative, we just write a story around, around their business and then, and then you know, shoot, a, uh, shoot a reality show around that. And so basically I sketched out a 13-episode season. We wound up shooting uh, in all different locations in Northwest Florida. I wound up airing it on ABC, CW, and Fox. We started buying out airtime. And, you know, his business started taking off and, and, you know, it, it just, it was, it was a, a kind of a fast track of me getting right back into the entertainment business, just doing these reality shows. I think it's a genius idea. And, uh, <laughs> I, I think more people should do it if they're, if they're not, uh, you talked about going back to spend that year with your dad. It is rare. Uh, you got so lucky, um, to be able to do that. And I can relate to that. My, my mother passed in 2007 and, it just, I can't imagine how it would feel if I wasn't sitting there with her when it happened. Uh, so as hard as that moment was for me, I'm also so grateful and, and, and just feel uh, completely honored and blessed to have had the ability to just be there uh, with her as she took that journey. Uh, and so uh, a year is, is unprecedented, right? Um, I'm curious how that experience inspired you uh, to do what you're doing today, because uh, I know that sometimes I, th I think you've posted a few times and maybe there's some quotes I saw on the Internet as well, saying that you can still hear his voice saying that he's proud of you and, and, and you guys would make comedies and horror films together. So just yeah. wanted to talk a little bit about that and, and what that how the experience of being with your dad for that year inspired you to, to move forward in, in entertainment. Right. Well, I, I mean, I, I can, I can kind of give a, a little bit of a backstory. So my parents separated when I was about two, two years old, my dad moved to Florida. So my, I'm originally from Jersey. So uh, my dad moved to Florida when I was gosh, about nine years old or so. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, even though that, you know, their marriage didn't work, you know, my, my dad, uh, and, and, you know, he moved far away. I only got to see him, you know, spring vacation, you know, summer vacation. So I didn't get to see him much. And there's a lot of holidays that we missed. But one thing that I'll never forget with my dad is he would always say how proud he was of me. Always. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for a father to give that to to a child like that, that just it it, it means so much, you know, um, especially for a young man, you know. And so that it continues. I continue to, that, that still echoes in everything that I do. I just know that, that, you know, he's, he's up there and, 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 you know, just, I hear, I hear his voice, you know, and it just keeps getting me through that. And so the time that, you know, I had to make the decision to, you know, leave LA and spend that, that, that year with him, I got a chance to have every holiday. We got to celebrate our birthdays together. It was the first time in my life I was able to share all these events with my dad. And that right there, I would never trade for anything as much as I want my career and all this other stuff. Like I would have never traded that moment. And so, um, if anybody listening to this, like the time that we have, guess what? We all have the same amount. No one gets more. No one's figured out how to make more, right? You can't buy more no matter how wealthy you are, right? Mm -hmm. Make use of those times, especially when it's with loved ones. Thank you so much for that, man. I, I, I appreciate you you sharing that. Um, there's a lot of young indie creatives that, uh, and especially um, 
maybe not especially, but certainly including actors that listen to this podcast, you have the experience of being in Atlanta, uh, which is the, the new Mecca, yeah. but you also lived and worked in Los Angeles. So I'm curious in your opinion, is it better to, uh, for, or would you recommend someone move to Atlanta, LA, or would you say, Hey, try to make it where you are first? You know, you always, you always have that, that saying, you know, uh, you know, big fish in a small pond. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, and so there it's, it's, it's not unknown. I mean, there's a lot of people in LA, you know, especially, you know, everybody is an actor out there. I mean, <laughs> police officer that pulls you over has got headshots in the back of his car, right? I mean, it's, it, it, that is, that is, that is the way it is out there, right? And so there is a lot of competition. And so one thing that, you know, and actors may not really understand the, the business side of it is that films are made in certain areas of, of different states, different countries even, because of tax incentives. And sometimes, like Georgia, has a very lucrative tax incentive that things are shot. So, you know, there's stuff, I mean, even in Jersey, like, I mean, tax incentives in Jersey are, are pretty good and different areas, New Mexico, and just there. So where you live, there might be stuff going on. And if, if the talent pool isn't huge, guess what? You have a little bit more of an advantage. Um, not to deter anybody from experiencing New York or LA, because I think at some point everybody, you know, should probably experience in that experience that whether, you know, that's spending some time out there, if you have the ability to do that or traveling out there just to see what the entertainment business is like. And of course, Georgia. Um, one thing I will say about what I like about Georgia film industry is it's its own thing right? It's not, New York has its own, you know, entertainment business culture. So does LA, but Georgia has its own. And, and so what I find out here that, you know, I'm an entrepreneur at heart is it's got this entrepreneurial spirit and, and people always think outside the box and it's constantly evolving and changing. And so if you're, if you're that personality type, yeah, I would definitely recommend coming to Georgia. I love it. And speaking of Georgia, you have uh, made uh your way there uh, in, in rapid succession here, you have a, a show that you're working on now called Government Records. So what is Government Records? What's it about? And uh, what's it mean to you? And and what's coming up with that? Yeah, so, uh, so Government Records, so it's actually, it's based on a true story where two ATF agents partnered with the Atlanta PD and the FBI and they had this crazy idea to create a fake record label to infiltrate the hip-hop community mm -hmm. to bring down a crime boss named Sugar Key. And so uh, the script came to me. Uh, so Taryn Parsons, who's, who's the lead writer, uh, came to me with the script. And it was actually a feature film. And, you know, I read through it and, and immediately I loved it. I mean, you know, just growing up around hip hop and, and being a big fan, uh, you know, and, and the story was just like, it got me. I was like, this is great, but I think there's more to it. And so what I did was I worked with Taryn and we decided that let's make this a series. And one of the things that I wanted to do when I, when I moved to Atlanta was to create work, recurring work for a lot of the Atlanta talent. Mm -hmm. And so creating a series obviously gives us that platform. And so we created it to uh, a 10 episode season. Uh, we, we polished up the pilot. 
wound up, you know, showing it to some investor friends and got some interest there. And then eventually uh, what I did was I financed a proof of concept uh, about a year ago. And, uh, you know, we, we put it all together and I shopped it around town and uh, I started packaging and we've got a little over 22 LOIs, uh, letters of intent or verbal commitments from people in the hip hop community. Uh, I was fortunate enough to uh, be introduced to Big Boy from Outcast, mm-hmm. and uh, and so he signed on early, and he's one of my co-executive producers, and uh, it's been it's been rock and rolling ever since. Right now, where we're at with it is we're interviewing showrunners, and so once we have that, we can figure out what network we want to take it to. I think it's an awesome idea, an awesome concept, and, and sort of kudos to you, by the way. Um, for, for looking at a script and saying, you know what, this is a show. Because yeah. I think a lot of times there are screenplays that indie creatives create uh, that's not too redundant. Oh. <laughs> and, and, and we get locked into the medium. Oh, no, this is a movie. This is a movie. Mm-hmm. And, and one thing we talked about uh, last week, actually, Chris, was that it, it actually might be more beneficial to make a show now or at least much shorter movies. Yep. especially if you don't expect to get a theatrical run or a straight to sort of Netflix or Hulu or Apple TV plus uh, licensing deal, because the shorter your stuff is, the more it can get streamed. So it's almost a way to double your money without doing any additional work. Um, so just go, sort of digging into the, 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 the skills of this, uh, what was it about that screenplay? What was it about Tarn's screenplay that, made you say, mm, I think this is a show, not a, not a movie. Yeah. So, uh, Taryn, so Taryn, Taryn and I went, or when, Taryn, my apologies. Yeah, yes. He, when he, uh, he presented it to me, you know, and I went through it and I, I was like, man, there's just so much depth to these characters. I want to know who these people are and, and, and let's really dive in deep. And so one of the things that, that I looked at and I gravitated towards was, was one of the ATF agents, uh, and Tara and I were talking about me potentially taking the role of, of one of the ATF agents and, and, you know, really looking at who is this guy, mm-hmm. right? Why does he do the things that he does and, and really understanding his backstory and, and creating a journey throughout, throughout the season. And what the beautiful thing about this is that each one of the characters, we, we see a progression, right? We see where, where, where they start and then they start changing and, and, and developing, and then it comes full circle. And so I think, I believe firmly that that's really got to be told through a series. Um, again, uh, on the business aspect of it, and you, you kind of mentioned it before, creating a series is good because they're almost like their own individual movies. Mm -hmm. Right. So each story, each show, each episode has a, has a beginning, middle and an end. And then there, there's a, there's a, there's a hook that leads you into the next episode that what makes you want to have more. Right. And so one of the things on the business side is, is that, you know, streaming platforms like, you know, uh, Netflix or even, even network, like they, they get that. And that's what keeps the attention. That's what keeps people engaged, right? What's going to happen next week. That's why people binge watch. And then when you, when you get to the end of, of your season, you're like, now I got to wait, what are you talking about? Right. It's like, and so, and so it keeps those people coming back. So that, 
that attention, those eyeballs keep going to that network or that goes to new subscribers to a new streaming platform. You're a bit of a two-headed monster in that you're a, a creative with a lot of creative uh, work in, in, in your uh, history. And then you're an entrepreneur as well, focused on branding and marketing. And, and you couldn't actually get away with that, get away from that even while you were acting. I'm going to dig into yeah. that a little bit. Yeah. But, but looking at that, that second side, that, that business side of you, Netflix just had their best show of all time in the Queen's Gambit. And Scott Frank is a great writer, so we know that's part of it. But this is a movie about uh, someone playing chess in the 60s. Uh, so putting on your business hat, why do you think this limited series uh, blew up the way it did? Uh, you know, and, and, and I, haven't, I haven't had a chance to, to comb through that one yet, but I, I will say a lot of it, a lot of it is under understanding your market. And one of the things that Netflix is really good at is, is targeting their market, their audience. And when you can find your audience and you have the right type of product to deliver to them, your the show is going to be successful. So like, for instance, with government records, you know, we understand there's a lot more layers to it than just a hip hop crime drama. There's also the nostalgia, right? So mm -hmm. a lot of these people, a lot of these, these artists that I have attached to it, you know, it's nineties, two thousands hip hop and then nostalgia. So you should, so you take that to Netflix, like stranger things, right. And some of these other shows that, um, you just have that, that audience baked in, right. You already have that audience. And so those types of shows do really, really well. So understanding your audience is key and Netflix and, and, and some of these other streaming platforms are really good at that. Yeah, I agree. And I think the thing that happened too was they hit a Holy grail moment. And so what we call the Holy grail in branding and marketing and marketing is word of mouth advertising and genuine word of mouth, not sort of out, out of the side of your mouth. Like Tiger King was like, people were asking you to watch it, but they weren't committed to it themselves, you know, or like how a guy will mention that he watches the Kardashians. Oh, I watched it with my girlfriend. Mm -hmm. <laughs> He'll right. never just come out and say he was the one watching it alone. <laughs> right. And, but this was getting word of mouth. Um, and so I think there, it's exactly what you said. They're great at targeting. They're great at using their algorithm to, to, push a show to you, but then the show delivered in a way that made people run out and say, Hey, you have to go watch this. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's, it's fascinating to watch. And I think it's a lesson learned for anybody that's creating content and um, that might end up on a Netflix or some premium streaming service. Um, I promise we'd talk a little bit about this two headed monster thing you have going on because uh, you've been in the film voices with our friend, Valerie Jane Parker. Uh, you got government records going on. Uh, you, you've done some short films. You've been in Celebrity CEO. You've been in uh, Dream Pools, Insurance Wars, One Life to Live, Guiding Light, Love Monkey, CSI New York. You've been in all these things. But even while you were out in L.A., you were noticing that some of your celebrity friends were really kind of upset with the way their websites looked on mobile. And yeah. then your entrepreneurial brain just clicks in and says, that's a problem I can solve. So yeah. my question to you is, does the business of film distract you from your love of acting? And you kind of have two lovers here. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering um, what advice would you have and, and, and what do you think? Is that, is that good for your creative juices or does it, does it distract you from, 
from uh, being sort of amazing at one or the other, in your opinion? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I am this really weird hybrid, right? On one side, I've got the creative and, you know, I was trained as an actor. I was, I was, you know, theater trained. And at the other side, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a businessman through and through. Like, I mean, my mom would tell me stories. Like I'd be seven years old trying to sell my finger paints. On the- <laughs> like, I mean, I'm serious. Like it's just, and, and, you know, I never, and not that there's anything wrong with it, but I've never, I didn't bust a table. Like I didn't, you know, do those types of things and not that there's anything wrong with it. I just started businesses. I just knew how to create and how to make, make work for myself. So when I was pursuing my acting career, I would be in a sales role or I would start a business to offset. And so when, when I hit LA, it was actually a really interesting time because I went out there uh, in, in 07 during the writer strike, when work started, when it was tough, nobody knew what the industry was, even though I had some credits, like it was, we couldn't really do much. And so I had to look for something else to provide an income. And I recognized, you know, that there was another need. I think the natural gift of an entrepreneur is to kind of see things in the marketplace. Right. And, and, and also kind of almost see a little bit into the future, even though we're not Nostradamus or anything, but you can kind of see where things are headed. And I just, I've been blessed with that gift. And so in 2007, when smartphones were becoming pretty popular, websites weren't fitting on them. Right. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you had to do that pick and zoom thing. The print was really small. And so, like you mentioned, you know, my entrepreneurial hat went back on and I hired a bunch of developers and I created mobilized websites for a lot of people in the entertainment business and it took off. And that's actually how our ad agency started, um, started doing marketing for people out in LA and, and, and it, uh, it just took off. And, and, and so I was very blessed that, you know, my company, you know, I was able to run a company while still pursuing my acting. And, and then at that time, also my producing career. Yeah. And there are advantages to seeing it from through both lenses. And one of the things that we talk about with uh, indie filmmakers, directors, for example, the directors, uh, when they're creating indie films or indie projects, they don't think that they need to be the person out in front of the camera. And I couldn't disagree with that more for the most part. I mean, there are exceptions to every rule, but I often think that when you're an indie film, yeah, you are the brand because no one's going to know about your film unless they know about you as a person, the person that's going to shoot this or the person that's writing this or the person that's producing this. So my question to you, since you have this unique viewpoint from the creative side and the business side, if you had one month to teach someone how to brand themselves, what are the first three things you would teach? Oh gosh. Well, (laughs) I, I could also tell from experience. So one thing when, when I was, you know, when I was in front of the camera and, you know, I was doing a lot of these different things, like I never, I stayed off social media completely. Like I was actually against it. Like I was just like, ah, I I just, people don't care what I had for lunch the other day. You know, it's like, I just, Mm -hmm. and, and until I realized it's actually a business tool and it helps you. And especially if you're, if you're in the entertainment business, you're a creator, you need to create, you need to be putting content. So I would say, you know, your brand and, and, and not just the people that are above the line talent standing in front of the camera, right? It's, it's whatever it is that you do is you need to be pushing out content in whatever field that you're in, right? So if, if, if and, and people want to, they want to learn from somebody that, that, um, has experience and that's out there. And, and that's how also how you're going to get hired. You know, I do a lot of speaking to 
uh, film students and, and I, and I go around to a lot of different colleges and stuff. And one of the things I talk about is I said, you know, you've got to focus on pushing content and the things that you know. So whether you're a makeup artist, an actor, a producer, push that content on, on social media, because you never know who's hiring. Mm-hmm. And like, like platforms like LinkedIn, like it is amazing. And then the, 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 the way that content gets picked up and, and, and their organic reach is way better than any other platform out there that if you're looking for a job, you need to be pushing out content on the things that you know, because when, instead of an employer, whoever that is, is, is looking at thousands and thousands of these resumes that are floating around out there, they're actually consuming your content. You're going to be that much more likely of booking that job. It's the same thing. Like, right. If, if, you know, as a, as a producer, you know, or a casting director, what do we do? We look at actors, demo reels, but if we get to know who they are as a person and we get to see their journey and, you know, their, uh, career and where they go to, you know, acting school and, and all this other stuff, or maybe a thought about how they, they take on a character and what their process is like, that's interesting stuff. Right. And so I would say just push content at scale, uh, as much as you can. Yeah. And so if I, if I dig back into the the question a little bit and then take what what you said, there are so many people that say, well, I don't know where to start. I, I mean, I get that I need to put content out, but what can you teach us about where to, where to start and how to present my most authentic self? This is a the thing. There's no excuses. Everybody's got a phone in their pocket with a camera on it. All you got to do is be disciplined and, and, and record something, just get something out there. You know, a lot of people now are home obviously because of, of, you know, the state of the world right now, you've got a camera on your computer if you just spend a little bit of time each day and record uh, what we call internally, we call them, them thought leader videos, right? Uh, a small micro piece of content of based on something that you know related to your business, that'll help. You just need to be disciplined. Got it. Yeah, I always brag on uh, this creator named uh, and comedian and actress named Elizabeth Donaldson. And we had her on the podcast and she's not for everybody, but um, she does a really wonderful job and she's super consistent. I mean, something in your inbox that's visually sort of in your face. We're talking purple hair. Hmm. Uh, the other day she was wearing a bodysuit that had the organs on the outside while she danced. It just, just wacky stuff. Um, Memorable. It's branding. Yeah. And so she has branded herself. And now I think what she really needs is the right project where she can show how that wackiness translates on the screen. But she certainly has built her following simply based on daily um, content that that you mentioned uh, there. It happens a lot. Happens all the time. I mean, you hear about, you know, some of these YouTube influencers that get picked up, you know. Yep. That's it. And I think the key is to sort of marry that content because you don't want it to be meaningless content, but so the way you give it meaning is by attaching it to something that people can see out in the world and get a little bit more of who you are. Um, staying on this, this idea of, of, uh, didactum and, and, and figuring out how to brand yourself and then make a business out of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, what is the most ingenious product placement you've ever seen in a film or a TV show where mm-hmm. you said, wow, that was sneaky. They just, they just gave us a Ford ad and we didn't know. 
Well, you know, and I, and I think, I, I think, you know, product placement, if done tastefully, uh, is good. Cause right. You don't realize it's, it's product placement, right. It's right. like it's blatant in your face, but <laughs> there are countless stories. I mean, going back in the, in the day, like, you know, when, when eat, if you remember ET coming out, you know, they, they, there was a candy company that was really successful. Uh, and, and their, uh, Reese's, if, if you remember Reese's pieces, which, which mm-hmm. was, uh, was the candy they, their business was going under and and what happened was they struck a deal with with the production company to you know do product placement in that movie and there's and and it's literally it saved the company it's it yeah. saved the company because then they did cross promotion with et and then and then the candy and then the brand and all that other stuff and the beautiful thing about product placement is that you're you're baked into the movie right Mm-hmm. And if that movie is a hit, if that movie is a classic or something, the value behind that is astronomical. Like it, it's more than just running a commercial on, on, on a station and then it goes away. Right. Another reason about product placement, if done properly, is that when somebody is engaged in a movie or show, they're emotionally engaged and people buy on emotions straight mm-hmm. up. And so whether it's, you know, stranger things, you know, her eating the egos and all this other stuff, right. It's something, it's something about that connection that people are watching. And then all of a sudden, Hey, you know what? I want, I want a burger or I want, I want a Coca-Cola. <laughs> right. And that's, and that's when, you know, it's done properly. Yeah, for sure. And there are certain foods and candies we just relate to movies. And I think Reese's Pieces is one of them. Yep. Uh, certainly you can have it without going to a movie, but you do think movie, you know, if this were Family Feud and, and they wanted you to find, <laughs> name things that are related to Reese's Pieces, movies would be number one. Yep. And, uh, and movies have done that for a lot of things. I mean, popcorn was popcorn, but then it became a food you eat at the movies. So great, great point there uh, for sure. What are the two best pieces of advice you've received so far in your career and who did they come from? Uh, two best pieces of advice. So, um, one, one of them I'm going to say, and I, I, uh, it actually comes from my stepdad and I, I don't really talk about him too much, but, uh, he used to tell me early on is don't care what people think. Hmm. Be yourself. Don't care what people think. Don't listen to them because, when you start gaining influence, you're going to get haters. It's just happening. And if you don't, then you're probably doing something wrong, right? It's, it's it, people, you're not, not everybody is going to agree with you and you can't please everybody, no matter how hard you try, you can be the perfect person, <laughs> but no one's perfect. But I mean, like, even if you were, you were perfect, you still, you can't, everybody has their own opinion. Everybody has their own thoughts. Don't try to please everybody because at the end of the day, it's going to, it's going to drive you crazy. Mm-hmm. The other thing is, and, and I don't remember exactly, uh, who, who told me this. I, I was somewhere on set. I, I forget where I was. And someone went to me and said, Chris, give it time. Overnight success takes seven years. <clears throat> and I thought about that. Like, wow. You know, and it's true. People don't realize how much work goes behind the scenes. Now you do get you know, you do get some of these, these things where, you know, the videos go viral and stuff, but but most of the time, those people, they have been recording or they have been, you know, doing these projects for years before that. It just, 
it takes time. Give it, give it the time that it needs for you to reach the success where you're supposed to be. Yeah. I love that. Now, if I've turned the tables on you, Chris, <laughs> it make you into the wise sage. Uh, if there was one piece of advice you could give people right now, what would it be? <sighs> Enjoy here. Here's the thing. We don't know. We, we have our plan, but we don't know how we're, and we might think we know how we're going to get there, but things happen. It's, it, you know, like any, any journey, right? If, if, if say you get off track and you have a GPS, it'll recorrect, recorrect, right? There's going to be twists and turns. There's going to be bumps in the road. There's going to be potholes. There's going to be forks in the road. There's going to be things that are thrown at you to, that, that look like they're throwing off your career, right? With me, you know, I, I, all I, all I ever wanted was to pursue my acting career, but out of that forced me to learn business. And I became a very successful entrepreneur in the process and I still act. And so if I would have gave up and said, well, you know, I, I don't, you know, I don't know where I'm headed or if I didn't enjoy that journey of learning business and learning the actual learning production and learning how to start companies and stuff like that. I would have never had those skills today. If, if I would have just pushed it aside and said, no, I'm, I, I, I can't follow this path. So my advice would be life is a journey. Enjoy the ride. Enjoy where you're going. I love that. It's uh, not a secret that you're a huge fan of John Travolta. Yeah. So, but so I'm curious outside of John Travolta, which creatives do you most admire and want to emulate and what do they do from a technical or skill standpoint that makes their work stand apart? Yeah. Well, John, John, John and I both come from Jersey. So, uh, it's, it's just, it's just funny. Cause I, you know, my, I actually had a chance to meet, meet John, uh, on a production I did. And, um, and it was funny because all my family was like, oh, well, you know, it was like, it was, it was pretty funny. But I will say this. And another person that I actually had a chance to meet uh, was Edward Norton mm -hmm. uh, on another, on another project. And, and so uh, Edward and I had very similar training. Um, actually, one of the teachers from his school was, was my coach. And uh, I just appreciate the way that he, he goes about, you know, uh, character development and, and the homework that he puts in because he, he really does put a lot of work into it. And um, those types of actors that really commit to the craft, that's what I always in, inspire to be like that type of that type of actor, like really understanding who that character is and really getting into the role. So, um, yeah, that that. Uh, Edward's definitely high up on my list. I love him. And I'm so mad at myself that I haven't seen motherless Brooklyn yet. Oh, it's, Yeah. You got to see it. I, I really enjoyed it. I really did. I heard it's great. I heard it's great. I want to see it. Um, I might just write myself a little note right here. So that it, a lot of times we have intentions at nine 30 in the morning <laughs> that, that we don't fulfill by nine 30 at night. Cause we forget about it. Yeah. So I'm going to write myself a little note, make sure I, I watch motherless yeah, Brooklyn. Definitely love uh, Ed Norton. Um, again, looking at the uh, two-headed two-headed monster, or maybe we say two-headed angel or hero that you are, uh, what are the biggest creative and business mistakes you see newcomers making? Um, okay, so we'll start with uh, creative. So I'm, I'm a there's different there's different areas of creative. So you have your writers, you have you know, you have your producers, you have your actors and stuff. Uh, first one that comes to mind is, is writers. So 
if you write it, if you get the opportunity to pitch your script in front of a producer, you want to, and I mentioned this before, is you, you also want to understand your market because they're going to ask you questions like, okay, so who, who's going to want to see this, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's a, lot of, there's a lot of creatives out there that want to make their passion project, which is great. And at some point you can, but if you're just getting started out in your career, this is a business. It's called show business for a reason. And, and, and so the producer or the investor is going to want to know, hey, how am I going to make my money back? Is this going to be a success? And so you need to be able to answer those questions, right? You need to be able to be prepared when you get into those rooms, just like as an actor, you know, you need to be prepared before you go into that audition room. Mm -hmm. And so preparation and, and understanding who you're meeting with and what, what their objective is sitting in their shoes is going to help you. Um, on the business side, uh, you know, whatever business it is, it could be anything. A lot of people get stuck in analysis paralysis. That's what I call mm-hmm. it. Right? Mm-hmm. They're always mm-hmm. analyzing what could go wrong. This, that, this. stop, <laughs> stop, <laughs> just get started. Most people, they, they, they're, they're hung up on so many things or they're trying to figure out everything that can go wrong and they never get started. The key, the key to this, and this is any entrepreneur, I don't care who you are, no matter how successful you are, everybody started from, from scratch, right? They didn't know anything. They had to learn something. A lot of people, a lot of entrepreneurs like myself will jump into stuff and learn as I go. I'll learn through things. Like, you know, you, you've got winning and you've got learning. But as long as you're always learning from some of the things that don't go as planned, you're always going to be able to start elevating yourself. So my advice to somebody that's, you know, in business and wants to start something, just get started. Stop, stop questioning it. <laughs> it's been a crazy year to say the least. It's an understatement. Oh, yeah. We're starting to see light at the end of the tunnel. What is your prediction for the entertainment business and for Agency 850 and 850 Entertainment for 2021? Hmm. Well, I, I mean, I don't have a crystal ball. <laughs> but, um, one thing I will do, and as we mentioned earlier, is remain positive. I see a lot of different things happening uh, in the entertainment business. Um, we're obviously seeing a spike in, uh, in streaming content. Uh, we're, we're seeing a need for content. I mean, a, 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 because content is being consumed now more higher now more than ever, because most people are still at home or they're, you know, they're, and, and it's, there's a need there. Mm -hmm. Uh, we're seeing advancements in technology. So, uh, I'm seeing like the led wall, uh, where it's, it's essentially, it's replacing green screen, uh, to, to, to extend it was used on, on Mandalorian. I'm seeing those types of things. So you're able to actually have, um, you know, a digital background, right. Which eliminates, uh, eliminates a lot of, uh, location moving around a lot. You can do it on a, on a much scaled crew, like a smaller scaled crew mm-hmm. to keep things COVID friendly, right. COVID compliant. And so I'm seeing those changes start to happen far as our company. I don't resist change. One of the things that, you know, you know, and all all my employees can say that is, uh, you know, I can change on a dime. I I think the, the downfall of any business is the one thing that they say is it's always been done this way. And if, if they say that that's the death of a company, 
especially mm-hmm. when a pandemic or something happens that is unexpected, right? You have to be able to uh, change and adapt. And it's unfortunate, but I am, I'm seeing a lot of these companies going under because they're just not making a change. Listen, we're a digital, you know, we're, we're everything's now through zoom and all this. So like, even this, like we were talking about this earlier, it'd be great to, to actually do this face to face, but we can't, but we adapt, right? We leverage, we leverage tools at our fingertips to continue on, to continue to, to make business could make progress. And I think people need to, need to, be willing to change to continue to keep growing. Yeah, I think it's really true. And it, it, it goes back to something that's kind of old hat at this point, which is, I just, I'm, I'm sort of surprised that, well, there are executives at Quibi where mm-hmm. I think that that played a role. They didn't understand their audience, but okay. the concept itself should have worked, mm-hmm. but it yeah. didn't. Yeah. Uh, in this landscape, do you think somebody's going to come in and try to do this again and maybe be successful? I don't know. You know, it's funny. I actually have been, I've looked at Quibi um, and I, I've been following and I'm like, mm, that would be an interesting buy, you know I mean? But, yeah. but I, I am too, I am also very curious on, on why that model didn't work because I agree with you. I think it, it probably should have, especially because the society we live in now everybody likes short format content, right? They want it quick. They want it now. The attention spans are not great, <laughs> right? And so uh, having the, the short form, form uh, bite-sized content that's highly produced sounds like it really works. So I, I, would, I would probably want to dive in to their, to their business model a little bit more and try to figure that out. Yeah, I keep thinking to myself, the perfect organization and company to buy Quibi or the rights to their content is, is Snapchat. Mm, yeah. If Snapchat just integrates Quibi, don't call it Quibi anymore. That's over. Right. Oh, yeah. It's just, it's just Snapchat, but then yep. Snapchat has these shows like, and Snapchat like, already has shows. So why not just bring in these high end shows yep. that are five minutes long and then put all your ads in between? Yeah. Yeah. No. I, these kids tolerate it. I, I hate sort of being sort of, smash cut into a commercial every 30 seconds or, or 45 seconds, which yeah. is what Snapchat does to you. <laughs> but right. the kids don't mind it. Uh, and then the users that are on Snapchat don't mind it. Uh, and, and there might be something to sort of that smash cut ad nature, Chris, where it's like, Oh, because, because it just happened to me before I can react to it, I'm in the middle of the ad already. And yeah. then before I can get pissed off and, and, close the application, the ad is over and I'm back into my content. It's like, yeah, whoa, those three second, five second, like what just happened? <laughs> <laughs> I Was I just bombarded? Exactly. exactly. <laughs> kind of like that subliminal messaging, right? Like they used to do like, where, like there's a frame of like a Coca-Cola inside a movie frame, like back when they were doing frames, just to kind of subliminally like ingrain that in your brain. It's kind of crazy. I had one of those jobs, Chris. I used to work for a survey company, one of those people that would sit in a mall and uh, have a clipboard and and get you to sign up and we'd pay you 20 bucks if you'd come take a survey for us. I was one of those guys. And one of the ones we did was for, I want to say it was Mellow Yellow. And Mellow Yellow was trying to change its image and be more cool and adjust itself to the youth. And we would have people come and watch the commercial and then they would write down uh, what they thought the commercial made them feel. How did the commercial make you feel? And they'd write it down. And it was really startling, Chris, 
because the commercial had, um, it had subliminal messaging in it. Huh. Yeah. And the words would flash words like, um, mellow yellow is cool. Mellow yellow is for young people. Mellow yellow is an, is an adventurous drink, but it would happen fast enough for your, uh, slow enough for your brain to perceive it, but fast enough for your eyes not to know you saw it. Right. And sure enough, they'd write down, Meliel is pretty cool. This is a pretty cool feeling. And, you know, it makes me feel excited. And, you know, it, it was, it's, it's pretty, <laughs> it's pretty eye opening to me as a 16 year old kid to, to know just sort of how malleable the human mind is. Um, Chris, this has been a blast. It's so much fun. Uh, you're, you're such a high energy guy. Uh, tell everybody where they could find you on social media and on the internet and where they might see some of your work. Yeah. So on social media, you know, at Chris de Blasio, uh, pretty much on all the platforms, just look us up, uh, company's agency 850. So that's, uh, agency 850.com. And, uh, you can find us on the web there and, uh, yeah, I'm pretty much just reach out and, you know, if anybody has any questions, I, I answer all, I answer my messages. So, uh, so just hit me up. Absolutely. And, and we'll end it with this. Uh, you worked on the film Voices with our friend Valerie Jane Parker. Yes, so uh, what's your, yeah, what's your favorite Valerie Jane Parker story? And have you had one of her famous babkas? That I have not. And I need to talk to her about that. That's interesting. <laughs> um, well, that, just to give you a background on, on, uh, on Voices. So, uh, you know, Valerie uh, played the role of, of a, of a woman who has lost her sight. And it was really interesting. So that on that project, I, I, you know, I acted in it. Uh, I, so I acted alongside her uh, as well as I was the executive producer of that project. But, uh, when I was behind the camera watching her character, uh, develop in the way that, that she handled the, the, um, you know, being, being without sight was, was actually fascinating to watch. And I know that she did a lot of prep work, uh, so I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I think so too. And she's excited for everyone to see that. We asked her a lot of questions in our interviews sort of about the preparation of going out and, and being someone who, who is without sight, someone that's blind. And what does that mean? And, and do you bring that home with you? How do you come to set ready for that? So anyone that is hearing this, go back a few episodes, find the Valerie Jane Parker story, especially if you're an actor uh, and listen to how she prepped for the role in Voices. Chris, I'm wishing you the best of luck uh, today and going forward in 2021. I know you don't need it, but uh, this has been such a blast. Thank you so much, man. Yeah, thank you for having me, man. Anytime, take care and uh, don't be a stranger. You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. To find more information about this week's topics, including links to relevant blog posts, projects, and indie creatives, please visit our website at www.banzai.film. If you haven't already, you can join our podcast community on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice by searching for Make It, Bonsai Creative, and the show will pop right up. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative and Facebook by searching for Bonsai Creative. And of course, if you're looking to take a big step towards your filmmaking success, Go to www.bonsai.film and click on Book Us to schedule a free discovery meeting and needs assessment. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative.
be engaged, and thank you for listening.